is the fun part. You can take Sir Francis Drake Boulevard, which mm-hmm. you pick up right off 101, mm-hmm. very shortly over the bridge, and you follow it all the way to the tip of the Point Reyes Peninsula. Mm-hmm. It's kind of astounding. Yeah. It becomes more or less a cow path. That was writer and former Chronicle columnist Adair Lara. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we feature musicians, journalists, bartenders, writers, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Welcome to episode 34, part one. Adair Lara grew up in Marin. She was fascinated by San Francisco, the big city on the other side of the bridge. After high school, she moved into Jim High's Victorian house on the corner of Waller and Scott. In this podcast, Adair talks about that Queen Anne home, not only the house itself, but also the cast of characters who came in and out throughout the years. Here's Adair. This is a, an 1890 Victorian, which is not the kind of house with very high ceilings and all that. And it's at the corner of Scott and Waller Street and was called the DeBose Triangle. It is part of many neighborhoods, but I found out later it's dead center in San Francisco. In fact, I think that I've heard that the meter for the temperature in San Francisco is in DeBose Park. Which oh, is more I or less never heard that. Street. Okay. I always wanted to go and breathe on it. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's 115 today. <laughs> it's not necessary now with global warming. I yeah, right. Mother Nature right, will be yeah. breathing on it, but. Beaches uh, will be crowded. Anyway, and very, very much in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up, you know, in the usual low ceiling to Marin houses where you heat, your, you know, you just draw on the heat. Mm-hmm. And when I came here, but I'd always wanted to go to the city. You know, I remember we would be on our way to, f- you know, Fly Shackers, that's how old I am, or to Ocean Beach or Playland. And we'd go by these high buildings and the lighted windows, and you see people moving behind the windows. Like silhouettes? Or not so or I could actually see them, but I didn't know what them. their lives were like. I mean, yeah. just always, I don't know why, but it really attracted me. There was something about the city. You would see long lines in front of movie theaters, and you wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have any idea where they were going home afterward. It could have mm-hmm. been to their spaceships for all I knew. <laughs> you know? Right. And I was from Wren, where it was beautiful, and it was sunny, and of a lot warmer, mm-hmm. but I knew where people were going home to, mm-hmm. and it, it, it seemed like anybody could live in Marin, mm-hmm. you know. And my daughter lives there now, and most of my family still. But I wanted to come to the city, and I so I I've been here since 1973. Okay, yeah, so long time. Anyway, uh, I had a, I went to college in Marin, and my very first English class was English 1A, which I thought must be a remedial class, so that it turned out not to be. <laughs> it was taught by somebody named Jim High, H-E-I-G. It's an old Swedish name. It doesn't sound like it. Okay. And I was, you know, I always sort of fell for the smartest boy in the room, but he had this big gold ring. I didn't. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I went off to Paris for a year, and I came back, and he and his partners, he turned out to be gay. We're renovating this place. Mm-hmm. It started in 1971. This is wow. a this is a three three story Queen Anne on the corner here. Okay. He bought it for forty two thousand dollars. The whole building in 71. In 71. 42. 
$43,000. Well, yeah. he got some extra things with it, like some chandeliers. So about $42,000, yeah. Stained glass? Was that part all of that it? Was, that's all that's all added. came with it. Okay. Oh, nothing's added. No, I mean, a oh, lot okay. is added. Okay. But he didn't add it. He restored it because all these Victorians uh, had been sort of cut up into little apartments during World War II. Mm-hmm. And if you if you have this high ceiling here, which is, I think that's 14. 14, I believe. 14 yeah. feet. And they would cut them up. They would lower the ceilings, because mm-hmm. otherwise you're 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 like a, you're an upended shoebox, mm-hmm. you know. And cut them into little apartments. And we have pictures of what it was like. And this happened all over. Mm-hmm. But when he bought it, he wanted because he was a Victorian house nut. Although he was a farm boy from South Dakota, he wanted to restore it. And in this neighborhood, this is, was a sort of a German neighborhood. Okay. The horrible cinder block hospital up the street mm-hmm. <laughs> is, uh, was called Davies. Now it's Sutter something. But right. before that, it was a German hospital. Okay. Right. And they would build big houses like this. You would have the family would live in one unit, and then they would rent out the other one or have it for in-laws or something. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so big. Anyway, he d- he set himself the task of restoring it. And, you know, it, it's funny because nobody was coming into these neighborhoods then. Hmm. You know, the shooting hadn't stopped yet. <laughs> Hate and Scott, which is two blocks from here, well, no, wait, one block from here, right. was the worst block in the city. Oh, wow. I remember once there was a sort of a, a, a you know, the police were converging on that block from hmm. all over, but the word had gone out and everybody was gone. Hmm. But... You know, and it, the the odd thing is, parenthetically, is that every time I parked here, pretty much every time, my battery was stolen out of my car. Oh, my God. And now, if you park your car here, whatever stuff you have in the car will be stolen with incredible dispatch. Right. Yeah. Right. But, so that hasn't changed, even though it is, you could say, gentrified. Yes. Yes. And it was interesting because uh, gay men back then, who were the only ones to come into these neighborhoods, were mm-hmm. called the shock troops of gentrification. Huh. You love wow. that? They would come in and live in these neighborhoods and fix up these these wonderful little buildings, which were you know where it had become uh, much despised. Right. You know, if you had one, you would stucco it over. Right. And then in uh, the late '60s, the evil redevelopment agency. Especially, this is called the, the greater areas, the Western Division. Right. Would diamond, dynamite some buildings and others were moved. And I remember going out at 3, 3 a.m. with Jim, watching a stately old Victorian being moved from, uh, you know, Scott and Turk or whatever. Yeah. You know, and trundled along the streets. I don't know where they ended up. And, yeah, move where? It's well, anything. I've seen the pictures of them on truck beds or whatever whatever they use to transport them yeah. it's like it's funny. i don't know actually where they went because obviously they weren't valued and that was a really depressed area and right. they were trying to break up that but but that was you know, that was in the that's just the that was really still the late the early 70s and any city that could afford it was tearing down the historical unsightly Buildings and putting up wonderful new cinder block and stucco, which was so much easier to care for. Right, right. 
And it was only cities like, you know, I lived in Petaluma for three years. It's only cities like that who couldn't afford to tear down their downtowns mm-hmm. who ended up with historic downtowns, mm-hmm. right? Uh, anyway, I came here in 1973. He had been my teacher, and I started coming over the bridge to see him, and then I moved in. And a colder place you have never moved into <laughs> in your life if you were from Marin County. Right. Uh, Did you move into this house then? This house. Okay. This actual house. No, it's funny because this is many years later, right? 40 years later? Anyway, l- not quite 40, but a lot of years later into this very house. And Kenner, who was our flat flatmate then, was one of Jim's partners. And I would come, I, I'd wake up in the morning and he would have his feet in the oven <laughs> to get warm. But I was like, I was from Marin where you didn't put on a sweater. The house was your sweater. Right. You put, you put on your house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why when I said it was cold, they would say, put on a sweater. <laughs> it seemed really so unfeeling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think it was, that's and once I turned on the heat, you know, and, and my husband Jim came home, and you, you smell that, that smell of an unused heater. The first I mean, time you turn it yeah, on. The first yeah, first time you turn it on. Yep. And he's like, who turned on the heat? Mm-hmm. You know, and the heat, you know, it's in capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like something's wrong. It's, it, yeah. It smells like you're trying to heat a huge Victorian with a, with a heater. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, but it so it took me, I think, most of these 40 years to get used to the temperature mm-hmm. and now i'm completely used to it but i used to work at a desk with my feet on a heating element and wearing yeah. parkas parkas and oh and yeah that. and global warming is taking care of the rest we have yeah, scott street in front of us here and mm-hmm. that's the banana belt mm-hmm. it is so warm mm-hmm. if so if you walk out scott street you're like i shouldn't have brought this jacket but we also have the back door which is on waller <laughs> where the wind comes straight from the ocean mm-hmm you know, the fog sometimes stops at, they say, uh, hate and Masonic, but but the wind comes straight down. You can't keep your garbage cans out there. Yes. They get knocked down. Yes. You know, you see Spanish conquistadors being bowled over here. <laughs> and you think, I've got to go back and get, you know, I, you, you, and it's the, we're 100 yards yeah. away from it, mm-hmm. you know. So either way you walk out, you're going to be wrong because you're going to walk a hundred <laughs> yards in some direction. Yeah. And it's going to be way too cold or way too hot. And this is going to continue all over the city. Mm-hmm. There's uh, also that uh, that thing where it depends on which side of the street you're on. It does. The yeah. weather will yeah. change. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know how the other side of Waller is because I'm never there. Mm-hmm. But I know ours is really windy. I just planted some palm trees, and I'm giving up on them because oh. the wind breaks their branches. Yeah. Oh. I built a deck above, but that's the Waller Street side. Right. I can't get anything to stay there. Yeah, you know, because I, of the wind. I bought finally bought fake palm trees and okay. attached them to the railings, but yeah. with all these... Um, and they've still managed to fall over. <laughs> I don't know how you manage to fall over when you're tied in four places. Yeah. But it's like that. It happens. Yeah. So, I've sort of been watching the weather for these all this time. Whereas, you know, in Marin, you don't really have to watch the weather. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like, you know, six, five months of Mediterranean sun and the rest a little rain. You know, mm-hmm. you know? More predictable. More predictable. It seemed yeah. like uh, going back to what you were saying about yeah. Marin in general, life in Marin, 
a little more predictable. Like you knew where people were going. There was less mystery. Well, that was my perception. You know, right. sure, I was sure. I was just uh, I was just practically a toddler when I left Marine. But that was my perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the city seemed wilder, you know? full of intrigue. Full of intrigue, just different. Mm-hmm. You know, I just uh, it was like going from a kind of a nice reception area to a place where there's a party going on, right. you know, and people are breaking the lamps and <laughs> lights going on and off, yeah. you know, and it, it was it was exciting, mm-hmm. especially in the 70s. Yeah, I bet. Um, you know, by by the time I moved in, Jim had completed about half the house, and <laughs> we have, he has gay roommates, they don't know what to make of me, <laughs> but they're polite enough. <laughs> <laughs> And people are coming in and out, and there are all these dinner parties, and there's all this getting into the Volkswagen bug at the last minute to go to ACT, where he had theater tickets, mm-hmm. season tickets, always the same, Road J. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. J for Jim. J, J for Jim. And I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. And then the kids came along. Jim and I got married, and then uh, we had Morgan in 1978 and Patrick in 1980. Okay. And... Just discomforted the other partners enough that they got bought out and, and moved, and we raised the kids here. Okay. City kids, city schools. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Once in New York, he's coming back for good in one week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Graduating yeah. or? He's 38, so oh. not so much graduating. He's okay. a writer, and he's just coming My back. My math is horrible. Because he's got a girlfriend, and he has a baby. Oh, wow. And he wants to bring the baby. Okay. And maybe we dangled a few hundred things to yeah, make some carrots. start thinking that way. Yeah. 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 But, uh, so this house has been, <laughs> Jim and I eventually divorced, mm-hmm. right? And that, well, divorced took 12 years or so because neither of us really wanted to get around to it. <laughs> but finally I met somebody and then I had to do some paperwork mm-hmm. you know, and went down to see this lawyer downtown and he says well you know we'll have to look at the house and this other property and I'm like you're not our lawyer and so in the end we got a friend to drop papers for us okay and then uh, Bill and I lived in an apartment in Noe Valley for a while but then it was the kids Morgan was 12 and a hell child it was time to circle the wagons a -hmm. little bit so we came back we rented the flat below from him okay yeah from Jim from Jim. Okay. Who owned the whole house, cause, right? And so became an upstairs, downstairs. All the time I was writing the column, you know, it was, <laughs> we just walked into each other's houses and s- sent turkey basters and whatnot. And the kids <laughs> ran up and down. Patrick's bedroom was upstairs at his dad's. Uh-huh. And it, it seemed, uh, it seemed very 70s to everybody. Yeah. Like a San Francisco sitcom almost. Yeah. And, and it kind of worked though. And then, Jim is tw- was 21 years older than I am. Okay. Yeah. And so all this went up, and the kids got older and moved out. And he was upstairs here, and he'd always have roommates to help pay the, well, I think it's really, it's at that point, was his source of income. Mm-hmm. He also had a one-man uh, one publishing house called Scott Wall Associates, oh. which published like 25 yeah, for this intersection? Not, no, well, oh. yeah, it was named for this intersection. Got it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It started when um, we were in Petaluma for three years, and I wrote the history of Petaluma. Mm-hmm. And he published it 
and then he began this one-man press, which is what he did for the rest of his life. Oh, nice. Right, yeah, yeah. And um, But he was getting older, and he got Parkinson's. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, ju- he, he had fallen on these stairs. There's a lot of stairs in a Queen Anne. It takes a long time to get from the sidewalk to the attic mm-hmm. in this house. I have writing classes up there, and a lot of winded people <laughs> eventually <laughs> arrive at the attic. Yeah. But it seemed time to combine forces again. So Bill and I, you just met Bill, uh, rented out below and moved in with Jim. Okay. This was in about 2010. Okay. Yeah. And the most epic battle of all time <laughs> ensued because I had said, I'm not going to be a kid again in your house. You know, we're going to move up and we're going to fix up the house according to what everybody likes. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. I mean, it scared the children, really, <laughs> what we oh. went through. For example, if you look over there at the hall, you'll see it's painted yellow. Yes, it is. And it's painted yellow now, but not for the first time, because when we first painted it yellow, when Jim was in New York, and when he came back, and we went somewhere, he painted it back to Bronco Beige. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is the color he had originally done in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Bronco Beige still exists, but it's very beige. <laughs> and he had started, I was... I've been t- I was teaching in the attic by then. He was taking my class, mm-hmm. which was kind of a nice turnabout because I had been his student. Yeah, okay. And <laughs> and all the work I did in turning it into a place we could live in was done either while he was at the gym <laughs> or in my class. <laughs> I stripped the entire bathroom of the wallpaper mm-hmm. when he was in my class. When he was at the... <laughs> I did... I did a lot. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's when opportunity struck. You. Well, you know, he's he's a wonderful man. But once he put something down, once he had you know bought his antiques and he bought them from all over the world, he would put them down and never move anything again. Uh-huh. You could put a hairbrush down and it would still be there forty five years later, <laughs> right? Whereas I'm kind of more restless. Yeah. Right. And I, <laughs> in the end, after some epic battles. We signed actual deals. I, you know, I said if he would let me rip up the, what he regarded as very good cardstand carpeting on the top floor, which hadn't stood the test of time, mm-hmm. in my view, that I, and I actually wrote a paper and had it not notarized but witnessed that said that I would not touch this room, the living room, or the dining room. Mm-hmm. And I didn't while he was alive. Yeah, you yeah, you stuck it to went, it, and it went like that. Yeah, you know he, uh, it was an immovable force and an irresistible object. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really a strange time, but in the end, it was all done, and Jim had the nerve to invite his friends into the show them the kitchen, which we had completely blown out and made a different kitchen. And for it to be admired, and I would sit there knowing he had fought every chain, <laughs> tooth and nail. That he's now taking credit <laughs> he for. He's like, here's the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so he died. There's a little plaque below for him. Outside or? Yeah, outside oh. near the near the sidewalk on the building. Nice. Yeah, but we're still here. And um, 
Patrick's coming home, as I said, in a week. Yeah. And uh, he could ha- he's here finally to set up a homestead. He has a flat over there. And going to have him go through and take some of the things you see around you, which belong to his father. Right. You know? Nice. And uh, so now we're all, I guess, Victorian house nuts. We recorded this episode at Adair's Dubos Triangle home in May 2018. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald, a.k.a. Joe Begale. Film photography for this episode is by Michelle Kilfeather. Story San Francisco is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please follow us there and share the episodes that you like. Michelle's photos of storytellers are up on the website, along with all the episodes. That website is storiedsf.com. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. You can send us comments, suggestions, tips, whatever you want, really, at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Check back Thursday when Adair will share the story of how she got started writing a column in the Chronicle. Thank you.